0: The following is a recording from ACF Church in Eagle River, Alaska. If you would like to join us on a Sunday morning, we would love to have you be our guest. Service times are 9 and 11 a.m. We hope you'd consider partnering in the work God is doing here by joining a life group, serving, and giving. If you would like to give financially to the mission of ACF Church, you can safely give by texting a donation amount to 907-341-4213. Now prepare your hearts to hear God's word. This week, we are finishing up our series, Ego Trip, and so open up to Romans 6, verse 20, if you would. You can also follow on the screen behind me, and if you want to uh, follow on your, uh, your iPhone or your Android, you can go to acfak.org, and there'll be a little, uh, little tab on the top of the screen that you can click on, and that'll get you the notes digitally, but... Let's just read this passage together. This is a really well-known passage. And if you've been in the church for any amount of time, you've probably heard this passage. Maybe you learned it as a kid. Uh, I was in Awanas growing up. And so in Awanas, you learn a lot of verses. And this is one of my verses that I learned a long time ago. Um, But it's really been coming to life uh, in in my own life this week. And so let's read it. In verse 20, it says, For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regards to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Beautiful words, huh? Just beautiful words this morning. So today I have entitled, Tripping Over the Past. And Ego Trip, this whole series, if you're new, has just been about seeing ourselves for who we truly are and dealing with our egos. And so for a lot of us, we have a story that has brought us to this day that might be fraught with a bunch of mistakes and a bunch of issues. I don't know uh, if you had a really uh, fairly easy childhood or a really difficult childhood. I don't know if you made a lot of mistakes in your teenage to college years or maybe just a few mistakes. But we all have this story that leads us to where we are today and so today's message is going to be about two things guilt and shame yay right happy sermon now guilt shame and also something else called liberty but we're going to get there here in just a minute but the whole the whole point of the series has been to see ourselves for the way that god sees us not to think too highly of ourselves or to think too lowly of ourselves and i heard it described as this dog and and cat theology so who are the dog lovers in the room? Who's got a dog? Dog people? We've got some dog people. All right. Any cat people in the room? Awesome. Yes. It's a, it's a dwindling crowd. Um, not a cat fan. Never have liked cats. Um, anyway, love you guys, but not a cat person. So dog and cat theology. And it kind of goes like this. So for you dog lovers, um, dogs think like this. You feed me. You care for me you take care of me, you, you groom me, you give me a house, you give me a place to sleep. And so what that means is you must be God, right? And you, you who have dogs know this is the case. When you get home, it is like God has returned, right? I mean, they're just excited and their tail's wagging. They're all fired up because you're home. And it's just, every time they see you, they're excited. This is dog theology. And then there's cat theology, right? So cat theology is something like this. You feed me, you groom me, You give me a place to live, you give me a place to sleep, so I must be God, right? I must be God, and if you know cats, you know that's the case. The whole house, it's its not your house, it's their house. They know that, and they they live like everything is their place. They will sleep on your pillow, you know, and so you have all the hair to deal with that night. They just, they don't care. It is their home, because that's how cats are. So anyway, dog and cat theology, and so we fall into this as people, where we look at the world, we look at all of the blessings that we have, the family that we have, the home that we have, the, the job that we have, and we think, man, I have been given so much. I must be God, you know? I mean, look at all the all this stuff is just for me. Look at all the things I've been able to do and acquire. It, it must mean that I must be God. It's all about me. Or sometimes what you do is you look at your world, you look at all the things that you have, all the things that you've experienced, and you think, man... God must love me. God must love me. There must be something greater out there and, and someone out there who I need to thank for all of this because I've been blessed by so much. And so I don't know where you land today, but uh, psychologists have this term that describes the way that we see ourselves, and it's called our self-ideal. It's our self-ideal. And so we all have this way that we see ourselves as the perfect version of you, you know? It's like the dream sequence in a movie, you know, where everything kind of gets squiggly for a second and then there you are on a beach in Hawaii, right? And everybody's serving you and you've got like the perfect beach body, you know, and, and everybody's kind of coming at your beck at command and you're just, you're happy. I mean, this is like the perfect day, the perfect version of yourself. And so we all have this sort of self ideal. But there comes this point where we experience things called shame and guilt. Shame and guilt. And so guilt is the knowledge of our inadequacies. It's the knowledge of our mistakes. And so there comes a point in life where we experience this feeling that I'm not good enough and I don't meet the mark. I I don't meet the standard that either has been set for me or that I have set for myself. And so everybody in this world at some point feels guilt. And what's interesting is, is as you look at all of creation, you look at all the animals, you know, we're the only ones that feel guilt. You know that? Like your dog doesn't actually feel guilt when, you know, you come in the house and they got into the trash and they walk off with their tail between their legs, you know. That's not guilt. That's like a trained response for an animal. Like we're not like that. We feel true guilt. And I was thinking about that this week, Uh, my daughter and I, Cadence and I, we were out in the woods going to a bear stand we have, we've been bear hunting, because you're in Alaska, so you have to bear hunt in Alaska, and and so we were walking through the woods, and we're walking out to the bear stand, and we've got this bait station all set up in the woods, and you know we come over this little hill, and I'm looking at the barrel, and now, I'm always checking to see if there's something there, and there was nothing on the on the barrel. And so I start walking closer and closer, and you know I'm looking at the barrel. And then I, I pass this tree, and then there's a grizzly bear at the bar- like standing on his hind legs, staring at us from the barrel. You know, and his his head's like the size of a manhole cover. You know, it's just and he's just looking at us like, okay, I'm eating dinner. What are you gonna do? And so. I just was like, hey, bear, you know, like making my presence known. And uh, you might think, why didn't we shoot it? It was a brown bear. We can't shoot brown bears right, bears right now. And so we kind of backed our way out of the woods, me and my daughter, you know, and, and got out of there as quickly as we could. And I was thinking about it. And I'm like, man, that was a scary moment. Because, I mean, that bear could have gone two directions. It ended up walking off, but, you know, maybe it thought I was a threat. And if it thinks I'm going to threat, it's just going to come at me like three, you know, jumps later and we're going to be gone. And, And I just thought, like, if that bear had done that and just eaten us for dinner, you know, licking his fingers and walked off, do you know how much guilt that bear would have felt? None at all, right? Because bears don't feel guilt. They just do what they do. It's all trained response. You know, it's it's natural responses. It's what they naturally do. Whereas we as human beings, we get guilt. And if, if you're not a Christian here or you're not yet a follower of Jesus, you have to ask yourself, where does this sense of guilt come from? Like, where does, where does this idea of right and wrong come from, you know? Is it, is it just from society, you know? Is, is, there this, is there really a right and wrong that exists in the world today, or is it all subjective? And so then, not only are we experiencing guilt when we do the wrong thing, but then we feel something called shame. And shame happens when who you truly are collides with your self-ideal. Because we all know that we're not good enough, right? We all know that we're, we're not up to the standard. We all make mistakes, you know? We've all experienced that feeling like, man, I just, I can't do what I want to do or I can't kick this certain habit in my life. And so when we, when we experience that, we feel something called shame. And it's this feeling like things aren't right. Things aren't lining up the way that I expect them to feel. And for some of you, shame is like a part of life. Literally, I know there are people in this room that wake up daily and feel shame. And you go to bed at night, and you feel shame. And maybe it's just been part of your upbringing. Maybe you were taught this way as a kid. Like, this is how you learn as a child is by shame. A lot of parents fall into this. And I don't know if you saw the the picture that was floating around on the internet a while ago, but it was of this mom and this kid that were on a street corner. And the kid had a sign that said, I'm a liar and a cheater. And the mom was standing there, like, with her arms crossed, like this, you know. And traffic's going by, and the kid's standing out there. And I, I can just imagine the mom was thinking... I don't know what this kid did. It may have been really bad. But the mom's thinking, if I can get them to feel bad enough about themselves and bad enough about this behavior, maybe, maybe they'll change things. Maybe he'll do something different next time. And so as a parent, she was using shame as a way to teach her child. And a lot of parents fall into this. And so we get into this rhythm of life of, of just feeling shame about who we are, feeling shame about the world. And we, we don't know what to do with it, which is interesting. This our society doesn't know what to do with shame. They've done something with guilt. They know what to do with guilt. You just ignore it. You just explain it away. You just get rid of any sense of true morality. You make it all relative and then you can kind of get rid of the guilt thing. But then do you realize that there's more shame in our society than there's ever been? People feel shame today more than ever. There's depression and there's shame and it's just it's crazy. How pervasive this is. And so we have to do something with this. And as we look at our past and our stories and our mistakes and all the things that have brought us to where we are right now in ACF Church, in Eagle River, in Alaska, what do we do with our past? How do we deal with our shame? I believe that human beings were never meant to experience guilt and shame. I believe it was never part of the plan. I believe that there's a reason that it's so painful. There's a reason that it messes you up so much that it just messes your whole day up. Maybe your week up or you're, maybe you've been messed up by guilt and shame for a while. But it's because you were never meant to feel those feelings and to experience those things. So we're going to go to God's word. We're going to let God speak to this uh, through scripture. And so let's pray together as we go there. God, I pray that you would uh, soften us for a few minutes. God, as we just have these few moments together to, to open your word, God, I pray that you would use them in ways that we could have never planned. God, that you would touch our hearts and change us from the inside out. God, that you would allow us to, to know what you're saying to us through your word. God, and it wouldn't just be head knowledge and information, but you'd transform us. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So shame and guilt is kind of where we're going. We have to look back at the very beginning of humanity, at the the first moment that we felt shame. And it's back in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 10. It says, and he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And so what we read here is that this is the story, many of you know this, of of a perfect garden, a perfect creation. We've got man and woman created in the image of God, a perfect relationship between them and God, a perfect garden, you know, uh, just an amazing place. And God says, don't eat of of the tree, of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. And they end up, they eat of the fruit. And then all of a sudden, their eyes are opened. All of a sudden, sin enters the world. There's a first rebellion against God. They, they had done something wrong. They had missed the mark. And so they experienced guilt. They were guilty of the behavior. They were guilty of the rebellion. And so what did they feel? They felt shame, right? They felt shame. I mean, can you imagine? I just, I was thinking about this this week. I mean, this, we read this pretty nonchalantly, but this is crazy. You're just going through life, experiencing all this stuff. You, you eat of the fruit and then you're like, do you know we're naked? Like this is shocking, right? I mean, this is a weird, you just, you're walking around in the woods this weekend and all of a sudden you're like, hey honey, did you know that we're naked? This is weird. I mean, this is a shocking moment for them. And so scripture says, then they responded to it by doing something. What did they do? They covered themselves, right? So they, they, they made these coverings of fig leaves, scripture says. They covered themselves. And so it's interesting. There's this mantra today that says this. It says, never be ashamed of who you are. You guys hear that, right? It's kind of like the classic uh, graduation, graduation speech. It's like, never be ashamed of who you are. Go be you, right? Uh, but, but what if who you are is actually an egomaniac, right? No, nah, Don't be ashamed of that. You know, what if who you are is a liar, is a cheater? What if who you are is somebody who's abusive or somebody who flies off in fits of rage? I mean, what if, what if who you are is somebody who hurts his or her family, you know? Somebody who is a cheater, is a, you know, what if, what if this is actually who you are? And so you have, to, you have to figure this out, like, well, if that's who I am, then maybe I shouldn't just be who I am. And so what they realized is who they were, were sinful people. They had, they had rebelled against God. And so they felt shame in the garden. And then we read later of what God does. God then responds to this moment. He says, I have to do something. And he says, I'm going to make you coverings of skin. And so what we read is that there was the first, the first uh, sacrifice happened in the garden, that God sacrificed the first animal and made them garments of, of skin. Which, again, think about it. Adam and Eve had never known death. They'd never seen it before. And you who have, like, seen death in a person or in an animal or something like that, you remember the first time you see that, right? Because it's shocking. I mean, it's just a crazy thing. Or they'd never seen blood before because it had never been part of what they'd experienced. And so it, it, it was a shocking moment. God himself sacrifices a perfect animal to be a covering for them in their shame. Does this sound familiar? It sounds, it sounds like the story that we read every week, the story of Jesus, right? This is foreshadowing of what would to come. Blood was shed so that we could no longer have shame. And so let's go back to Romans chapter 6 verse 20, it says this, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. What fruit came from those things? And so he's He talks about slavery he says you were slaves to sin and so we're going to draw out this paradox and it's going to get maybe a little confusing but it'll make sense in the end and it's this paradox that says each kind of freedom that you experience is a sort of slavery and each kind of slavery that you experience is a kind of freedom so we're going to draw this out it's going to make sense so so each kind of freedom is a kind of slavery and each kind of slavery is a kind of freedom and so we're going to talk about the first kind of freedom that we're talking about in the scripture. And this is this, freedom apart from God equals license. He's saying, for you were slaves to sin and you were free in regards to righteousness. He's talking about this idea of license, you know. You guys know if you got your driver's license, what did it feel like? Freedom, right? When you first got your driver's license. It's license. It's like, I can do what I want. I can go and I can act how I want to. So he's saying, when, you are, when you're a slave to your sin, when you are somebody who is in sin, you are actually a slave to it. So he's going to draw out this idea that you don't get to choose whether you are a slave to something or not. Like, everybody's going to be a slave to something. You get to choose what you're going to be a slave to. And so he says, when you were this way, you were a slave to... To your sin in regard to righteousness. And so it's this idea that we can become enslaved in our freedom, which may sound weird, especially in America. You know, we love freedom. We we love this idea that we can do whatever we want, even though there are laws and there are regulations in the culture that we live in. But again, we can become enslaved to it. It's kind of like have you guys ever seen the tiny house movement? some some videos. And, you know, on Discovery Channel, they have all these shows about the tiny house movement. And it's this whole uh, culture of people that are selling everything that they have. And they're moving into these homes that are like the size of a side of the stage, like a family of five. You can imagine these homes that are just really small. And so they get rid of almost all of their possessions. And as you hear them talking, it's not because they don't have any money. It's not because they need to downsize because they can't pay the mortgage. You know, it's literally, we're going to live in this little bitty home over here because we have actually felt enslaved to the, to the life that we've created, to all of our things and all the, of the requirements to take care of those things, all of the hours of work that I spend so that I can pay for those things, literally at some point starts to feel like slavery. Have you experienced that before? Some of you have a payment right now that feels like slavery. You're like, why did I buy that RV? You know, like, oh, I don't know what it is. You're, you're just like sick of, so you're, you're going camping every weekend, right? Like, I got to camp. We're going to camp every weekend. So I can, you know, rationalize that we bought this stinking RV. And so you become enslaved to the thing that you did so freely, right? And we see this in our sin, that, that over time, the things that we give ourselves to, that we're like, hey, look, I'm free to say what I want. I'm free to do what I want, that you realize, no, that thing owns me now. Like, it has a place in my soul. It's literally hurting me. So then it says this in verse 22. But now you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. The fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Are those beautiful words? Those are just beautiful words. So he's saying here, here's a different kind of slavery. It's slavery to God, which equals liberty. So slavery to God equals liberty. We're talking about license and liberty the two different kinds of slavery. And we get lost in the term slavery because we just go back to like the 1800s, you know, in the U.S. and we think of these people who were forcefully um, brought into these homes and forced to do things they didn't want to do. But when he's talking about slavery to God, a better term would be the term bondservant. Bondservant. It's, it's these servants, these people would have chosen who they wanted to be enslaved to. Some slaves were given this opportunity. To say, no, this is my master. This, this person will take care of me. They're a good person to, to enslave myself to, which sounds really weird. But again, there's somebody that I'm going to trust in because they're going to they're make good choices. and They're going to care for me and for my family. This was a bond servant. It's a totally different situation. It's a, it's a voluntary servitude. Voluntary. Like, I am choosing to enslave myself to you. And then he says this in verse 21. Uh, as you back up a little bit. But what, what fruit were you getting at the time from the things of which you are now ashamed? So he's, he's asking you to make a choice. He's saying, look at your life. And he, again, you're a slave to something. You're either a slave to your sin or you're a slave to God. He's saying, if you want to decide which one you want, then all you have to do is look at the fruit. You just have to look at the fruit of your life. Look at the things that you've done in your freedom and have, have those things given you life. Have they given you hope? Have they given you peace? Have they given you a sense of fulfillment? Have they quenched the thirst in your, in your soul? He's asking this question, like, all of the things that you've done so freely, has it given you what you wanted? And if it has not, then you have to ask yourself, am I enslaved to the right thing? What thing will you be enslaved to? Will you be a slave to your sin or a slave to God? And in verse 23, it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is awesome. This is just a beautiful verse, and it's just been coming alive in my head this week as I've been reading this, because he's talking about it, that you're, you're enslaved to your sin, and your sin has a wage. Like, you have a job, maybe, maybe you have a job, and, and And you go to that job because you get a paycheck, right? You're like, darn right. I wouldn't go back if I didn't get a paycheck for what I do, right? You get a paycheck for what you do. He says, listen, sin is like the job you never wanted. And what you get paid every week for that is death. It's like the job you never wanted that pays death. And so you go back every day and you do the same thing. And you come home and at the end of the week you get your paycheck and you look at it, and it says, death, that's what you get. And then you go cash that at the bank, right? This is, this is kind of the imagery he's saying is like, this is the check you cash every week when you give yourself to be slaves to sin. And this is, this is so cool, you guys got to catch this, because then he says, listen, but then the free gift of God is eternal life. So you can be a slave to your sin, or you can be a slave to God. And you know what that pays? nothing. So don't miss it. This is different. Like some of you are like, no, it pays eternal life. It pays heaven. It pays. No, 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 no. Again, you can be a slave to God. He's using this imagery, but it pays you nothing. It gets you nothing. You can do everything right. You can do everything for God. All of the things he asks of you, all of the things that please him. And yet eternal life is a free gift. You didn't earn any of it. You didn't. So it totally obliterates this work harder, try harder Christianity. Like it, it obliterates this like, well, I'm a better Christian because I don't do these things. Or I'm a better Christian because I do these things over here. It totally blows it out of the water. It's like, no, listen, you both were saved by grace, the free gift of God that gives you eternal life. Not because you did work not because you did something right, not because you were born into the right house or because you go to the right church or because you do the right things or because you put enough money in the plate. None of that saves you. It's only a free gift. You guys get like it's a, this is a huge shift for a certain segment of our, of our church. And maybe, maybe all of us need to catch this in a lot of ways because I think this theology sneaks in. I think it sneaks in, and we start finding ourselves serving and doing things from this other motivation, and you know what happens? Burnout, you know, frustration, all of a sudden we never want to go back, like, why do I do that every week? Again, if the motivation is to gain eternal life, it's not going to last, because you were never meant to try to earn that anyway. And guess what? All of your deeds and all the good things that you do are worthless in the eyes of God anyway. So I'm not throwing out those things. I'm not saying those things aren't good because I think they are. I'm, I'm trying to challenge your motivation for those things. And when the motivation is different, you will do those things in abundance. When, when, you, when you've been given a free gift, you know how generous you become. You know how, how much you want to serve and love people. You know how much grace comes from that perspective that God has given me this free gift. It's such an important thing because so yesterday I was able to perform a marriage ceremony here, which was really cool. It was getting hot like it is right now. You guys okay? And so like the groom was right here, and he's like sweating on the carpet, and he's wiping his head off. It was awesome. So everybody's sweating, like get this thing over with, right? And so we had met a couple times beforehand and talked about marriage, and you know, I explained to them just some, some thoughts on marriage, and I mean, what would it be like if they were like, hey, Brian, tell us about marriage, tell us what it's like to be uh, you know, to, to be married. I want, I'm interested because we're, we're going there. And I'm like, okay, it's cool. So it's, we got it all figured out, me and my wife. So <laughs> I like that you think that's funny. That's good. <laughs> so so I uh, go to work, and I, I mow the lawn. And when the drain's clogged, I fix the drain. And uh, I keep the cars running. And uh, I, I, do, I do some work around the house. So I've got these things... That I do. And in exchange, my wife, she's great. She uh, takes care of the kids and she does the the laundry and the dishes and she makes sure the house is all picked up. When I get home from work, uh, there's always food on the table for me. And so we've got this great uh, arrangement going on. How excited would they be about marriage? Like that sounds horrible. I mean, why would anybody want to get into that? Like, the problem is, some of you are like, "Man, that's my life right now." I can, t- I connect with that because that's totally my marriage. So that's a different thing. But anyway, we can get into this transactional relationship, right? Have you ever had a transactional relationship? I do my part, you do your part, and then we do our thing together, right? It's a different kind of perspective. No, Jesus says, "Listen." I don't know how, much, how many lawns you can mow or you know, how many hours you can spend at work or how many great meals you can make. I don't care. I don't care what you've done. Listen, it is a free gift. It's no longer a transactional relationship. God says, I save you. Not because you did something good. Not because you acted good. Not because you got yourself all fixed up and came to me. No, I save you. It's a huge shift. So, again, guilt is, this, is this, this standing before God. And so as human beings, we have to start with this. We all are guilty. Every one of us. We have guilt. And yet, we try to get rid of it. Yet we, we don't know what to do with guilt. Like we, just, we know that it results in shame and we don't like shame. And so we're, we're left with this weird thing that, that we feel guilty sometimes. We're not sure where that comes from. And so we deal with guilt a lot of different ways. I've got, I've got a few ways that we're going to go through here real quick. The first one is this. We deny it. We deny it completely. And so I want to use the illustration of getting pulled over by a police officer. Anybody got a speeding ticket recently? yeah 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 okay, yeah i've I've had a couple, so I admit that I am a speeder sometimes, and so um, sinner, he's a center pastor, so um anyway, and so uh so let's look at it like this. So you get pulled over by the police officer. He comes up to your window, he says, "Do you know you were speeding? Nope i uh I've got this little gun here, this like uh, radar gun, and what it does is it tells me how fast you're going. It's broken. Uh, no, like you were, you were actually speeding. You were going 20 miles an hour over the speed. Like, no, I, I just, I just wasn't like, uh, I, I don't know how your gun is calibrated, but you need to go calibrate your gun because I'm sure it's got some kind of issue with it because I was not doing anything that was wrong. And so what we can do with guilt is we can sort of make it all relative and throw out any sense of morality, When you say, listen, there's no real right or wrong. There's just, you know, what's good for you. And I'm not hurting anybody. I mean, I didn't run into anyone. You know, I didn't go careening off the road. Nothing happened. Why are you pulling me over? I'm not guilty. I did nothing wrong. Anybody been there? So that's the dealing with guilt by denying it. The next one is this we explain it away. So the police officer comes up to your car door and he says, "Hey, uh ma'am or sir, you you've been uh, you've been speeding." And you say, "Well, do you know how late to work I am? I mean, I'm like I'm going to be super late and in fact the kids, you know, I just dropped them off at school and I barely got breakfast and I got to get in there, my boss is going to fire me, you know. It's like you are the king or queen of excuses, right? And and so you've always got a reason why what was wrong was really not that wrong. And in fact, your, your circumstances forced you to act the way that you acted, right? It's like, well, if they hadn't done this, then I wouldn't have done that. If this wasn't the situation, then I would have made a different decision. But because this was the situation, then actually that is the person who's guilty of my behavior. And so we've got excuses, you know. Number three is this. We punish ourselves. Punish ourselves. Have you done that? This is when the police officer comes up to the car window and says, you know, ma'am or sir, you've been speeding. And you go, oh, I feel so bad. Oh, I've been speeding before. And I just can't stand myself for speeding. I just, it drives me crazy. I just hate this about myself. And uh, how's that work for you? It never works, does it? I mean, it's this like, it's this feeling that if you've done the wrong thing, that what you need to do is just feel horrible about it. And in fact, you, you almost feel bad when you start feeling better. Have you ever done something that you did it wrong, and then you woke up the next day, and you kind of forgot about it, but it was a really big deal. And you kind of started feeling better, and you thought, nope. No, uh Like, I, I, can't, I can't do that. It's not okay. I, I must wallow in self-pity, in, in penance for the thing that I have done wrong, right? I just have to feel horrible for it. And so this is the punishing ourselves approach. Number four is this. Lower the bar. Just lower the bar. This is easy. I mean, if you don't know what to do with your guilt, just change the, change the standard, right? If, if you don't want to be guilty, just set the standard, really. It's great. Set the bar low and you always get over it. You're like, hey, look at me, success. I always nail it, you know? Here's the bar. Wake up in the morning. Nail it every day. Every day I wake up, you know? I might wake up late, I might wake up early, but I wake up every morning, nail it. I am, I'm a success. We lower the bar. This is when the cop comes up to the window and he says, you've been speeding. And you say something like this, well, do you know how good of a dad I am? Are you kidding me? Do you know that I made dinner for my three kids last night? Are you serious and you're you're here with this whole speeding thing? Like, no, nah, I'm, I'm, do you know that like I go to church and I help people? Do you know who I am? You know, like that kind of, it's like, let's just lower the bar. Look what I've done over here. Look at all the good, you know, this, this is the favorite of the religious, This is a favorite of the religious. And you might say, no, the religious, they they raise the bar. They don't actually raise the bar. They just change the standard and lower it. Because it's one thing to be able to do all of these religious things. It's another thing to truly love God and truly love your neighbor. And how many of you know those are the hardest things to do? Way harder than any kind of religious activity. It's way easier to throw a couple bucks in the plate than it is to love your neighbor. Isn't it? And so religious people love to tie up these burdens on people, these behaviors, and just place them on you. And so that you do these things so that you can feel as if you have accomplished something and gotten over the bar. So so that's the whole lowering the bar. Number five is this, just dive in, you know? Dive in. This is, if you're going to speed, speed a lot. I mean, if you're going to go... 75 on the Glen, you might as well do 100. I mean, because if you're going to speed, I mean, just speed. Just go as fast as you can, because you're going to get a ticket anyway. And we're all like, no, there's this point where you go to prison. But anyway, I, I don't know exactly how fast I have to go before I go to jail, but I want to be below that, but, you know, still speeding. And so we just, this is when you just say, well, if I'm going to do the wrong thing, I'm just going to enjoy it. And maybe if I enjoy it enough I can numb my senses to the point that I no longer feel anything anymore, you know? I mean, maybe, I, maybe if, I just, if I just do this enough, I don't have to feel bad. I don't have to feel guilt. It can just go away. Have you done that? You're trying to numb your senses and just done something enough that you just don't feel it anymore. You just don't notice it anymore. It's just part of life at this point. It's just what, it's just what we do. This is what I do in my house. It's what I do in my life. Number six is this. It's simple. Give it to Jesus. Give it to Jesus. I heard a quote by a guy named Tim Keller. He said this, Cheer up. You're worse than you think you are, but God's grace is greater than you could ever imagine. Cheer up. Like, I don't know if that's a good thing or not. Cheer up. You are worse than you think that you are. You just are. It's been the whole point of this series. Like, we are just worse than we think we are, but God's grace is greater than you could ever imagine. Amen? Man, that is, there is some joy to be found in that. See, the thing with guilt is it doesn't just disappear. The thing is you did do that thing. If you look in your past and you say, Brian, the thing is, like, I did that. I experienced that. And so I am guilty of that. And that's true. That's true. You can't change that about your past. And so guilt doesn't just disappear. And that's the thing. That's the thing. Our culture has no way of dealing with guilt. They have no way of dealing with it, like truly to deal with it. Just, we just ignore it or try to do all of these things. We have no honest way of actually dealing with guilt. First Peter 2.24 says, He himself bore our sins, in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. This is what Jesus does for us. He literally takes our sin. He doesn't just make it disappear. So this is a, this is a big difference. Jesus doesn't just make your sin disappear. He literally takes it upon himself. And he himself goes to the cross and is sacrificed and bleeds and dies as a covering for your sin. Isn't that beautiful? That's awesome. That's something like, I don't know if that's exciting to you. It's exciting to me today. Because that's amazing. Again, it just, it just clashes with the whole, just be a better Christian. Just take, take these behaviors, don't do them anymore. Do these things over here and you've nailed it. It says No. I'm going to take your sin. I'm going to die for it. That's the price that I pay. So I have to ask the question, how do you view yourself then? In light of all of this, how do, we, how do we look at ourselves in this world as we're like, okay, so Jesus has taken my sin, and he has taken my guilt, and so now I have to deal with this ego of mine. Like, how do I see myself? And so let's just imagine that you and I are going out after church, and so we're going to go out, and we're going to go frisbee golfing, frothing, right? And so we're going to go frolfing together, and so we go out to the Peters Creek Frisbee Golf Course, and, you know, we're running around in the woods, and we're throwing the Frisbee around, and all of a sudden you trip, and you just fall on the ground, and I see you disappear behind the trees. I'm like, what's going on? And then I hear you screaming, right? And I run over, and you've been, like, impaled by a piece of rebar that was in the ground. This is a great story. So you're, here you are. You are impaled by the rebar, and it's through your torso. It's all the way through, and I'm like, this is bad, and you're like, yeah, it's bad. Do something about this, you know? And so this is a really bad situation. And, and so I think, well, okay, let's... Let's take care of you. So I, I pick you up and I, I actually pull the rebar out of the ground. And so now you're like, you know, you've got the, you've got the rebar and you're like, this is a horrible thing. And so we, we go to the hospital, right? I take you to the hospital. You're bleeding all over my car, you know. And, and so we get in there and they're rushing around and, you know, they, they take you on the gurney and they take, do they call it a gurney anymore? They take you on a gurney and, and you're in this room and they're like, okay, we have to call the doctor. We have to call the, the rebar doctor. I don't know, the, the surgeon. You have to call the surgeon and the rebar doctor so we're kind of gonna call a surgeon and the surgeon's gonna come in and they're gonna they're gonna remove this rebar and so they they page the surgeon she's over here in this other office and she's in the she's in the break room and she's hanging out she gets this page and they're like uh, doctor whatever you need to come out here and remove the rebar from this person's torso so then she's like oh man um the truth is like uh, i barely made it through med school like i gotta be honest Like, I'm just not that good of a doctor, and in fact, um, the last time I tried to remove a piece of rebar, the guy just died on the table, which was really depressing, and I actually kind of made a couple of mistakes that I never really told anybody about, but it didn't quite go right. And, uh, and in fact, I just, I, I'm not sure if I'm feeling up to this. And I, I had, a, had a fight with my, you know, my boyfriend or whatever last night, and things had not gone really well. And I'm just kind of thinking about that. So I'm really distracted by my whole situation. Can anybody, anybody else want to remove the rebar? You know, like, how do you want your doctor to feel when you have rebar going through your torso? Like, what, what frame of mind do you want them in? Would you be comfortable with that frame of mind? I mean, would, would that be cool? Like, I don't know. You might be a lost cause. Or, you know, how about this? The person that walks in there like, I am the rebar doctor. Hey, I've done hundreds of these. I mean, people fall on rebar all the time. I don't know what's wrong with Alaska. We've got rebar everywhere. People are falling on a rebar. And so I, I do this often. I'm just like, I'm nail. In fact, I could probably do this with my eyes closed. I might try it because uh, you're going to be out and you won't know anyway. And so I might just do this with my eyes closed because... I mean, what frame of mind do you want your doctor to be in when they, neither, right? It's like, you want the doctor to come in and go, listen, this looks bad. Um, you've lost a lot of blood. You're, you're not doing well, but I've been trained well, and I've gone to school, and I've got uh, some ways that I think I can treat you, and I can help you with this piece of rebar. I, I feel like uh, there's, a, there's a good chance that we could get it out of you, and that, uh, that your body's going to heal. I can't actually heal. I'm a doctor, doctors don't actually heal. Your body has to heal itself, And so uh, I'm going to need you to just be fully present here um, as you wake up, and we're going it's gonna be a long road, but I think we can do something about this, right? That, that's what you want, right? You want this, this balanced perspective from this person. confidence without cockiness, right? I mean, this ability to be like, I'm confident, I'm trained, I can do things, but I'm not arrogant. And I know that I have my limitations. And I know that I've made mistakes before. I and mean, this is how we want to, 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 be, to view ourselves. As we come out of this series, as we look at all this, we say, listen, Jesus took my sin and it cost him everything. It cost him his life. And as I look at myself, I see that I make a lot of mistakes. And uh, if you're honest, as you look at your life, you've spent a lot of time trying to just cover this up. I mean, at a very young age, we realize that we're not good enough. At a very young age, we learn how to protect ourselves, right? And, and, and here's, the, here's the only illustration I could come up with is, is this. So there's an age where you're like, okay, so I was in the classroom, and I was just being myself, and they all made fun of me. And so what I learned is that you just kind of sit in the corner, and you don't say anything, and that protects you. But you're thinking and you're watching, you know? And so that's a that's a way to get around this, you know. And so then you get a little older, you know, maybe you're in high school and you're like I'm going to get the best grades. And they're going to see they're going to see that like I've got value and that I'm good enough and that I can I can do things in this life. My parents, they don't they don't believe in me, but you know, like I'm going to get good grades and they're going to see what I'm going to become. So then you get older and you're like you know, I'm just going to find you know, the smoking hot husband, or the smoking hot girl, you know, I'm just gonna, am gonna marry them, and this is gonna show all the people around me who I really am, look at me, I'm a success, I'm a success, or maybe you're gonna start a business, you know, and all the people that said you couldn't do anything, they're like, man, you know, look at this guy now, he's got a business, and he's got people working for him, he's making lots of money, look at the people, the command that he has, the people that are following him, look at who he is, or maybe you're like a you're like a church person. You've grown up in the church and so you've learned that this is a great covering. You just go to church and you do this kind of religious thing and you, you know, you show up every week and everybody sees you and you don't do these things, you know. You uh, don't drink, smoke, or chew, but you don't you know, hang, out, hang out with people who do, right? Don't drink, smoke, or chew or hang out with people who do. So you, you've got this kind of religious thing going on here. And so this is kind of what you look like. Right? You've got this whole lifetime of becoming an expert at covering yourself, at, at protecting who you truly are. And, and none of these things really work, and you kind of look a little ridiculous to the world around you because people can see through all of this. They're like, hey, this, this looks strange. And so there comes a point where you just start stripping things away, and you're like, listen, maybe I'm just going to follow Jesus because he loves me. Maybe I'm going to be generous and giving and caring for people because people matter in the eyes of God and because I've been given so much, you know? Maybe I'm going to get a job or I'm going to start a business and I'm going to start that business because, because I have gifts and abilities that I want to use. And I see that I'm, I'm not building a kingdom in this world, but I'm investing in the kingdom that's to come, you know? I'm going to get good grades in school, but I'm going to get good grades not just because it's going to impress people, but because I'm a a smart person and I want to honor the gifts that God has given me, you know? And then at some point you're like, okay, so I've got this personality um, and not everybody loves my personality and I've learned to hide it. uh, and I've learned to be a person that I'm not, but maybe I could just be who I am and and maybe I could let people love me for all of my mistakes and all my inadequacies and, and for who I truly am. Do you guys see the hope and the peace that's found in all of this? Do you see the the lack of striving and trying to just figure this thing out? I mean, it's just a totally different lifestyle. Ephesians 1.7 says, In him we have the redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished on us. We have the redemption through his blood lavish grace. Lavish just means abundant, liberal, overflowing, unheard of, beyond comparison grace. More grace than you've ever seen. This is the kind of grace that you have. So my question is you, what have you been trying to cover up? What what is it that you're like, okay, I've been this is who I truly am. And again, I'm not, I'm not saying who you truly are is good enough because again, I was gonna get another coat and make it my Jesus coat, but then it, I was like, it just would be silly because no coat can represent Jesus, right? And so, but the thing is like who you are at your core, again, we are broken people. And this isn't a just love yourself for who you are. This is a know who you are in Christ Jesus and know freedom and liberty because of him. It's a totally different message than maybe what you've heard before. And I want to encourage you today, if this is you and you're like, Brian, I've spent my whole life trying to cover myself up. I've spent my whole life striving for the sake of the approval of others and the approval of God. I want to encourage you today that you can make a decision to follow Him. Uh, In the past six months here at ACF Church, there's been at least one person almost every week that has been here that has made a first-time commitment to follow Jesus. I'll tell you what, I'll preach every week as people are coming to know Christ. And so I want to encourage you, if that's you today... Uh, it's really simple. All you have to do is make a decision in your heart to begin down the road of trusting in the grace of Jesus and exchange all of your striving and all of your, all of your sin and all of your guilt for his righteousness. That's what you have available to you today and you can leave here with that peace. So if that's you, would we, can we just pray together and then we'll worship. Just pray this with me if that's you today. Jesus, I am done striving. I am done trying to work for your acceptance. I'm done trying to earn my place in this world. I am just done. I look at myself and I see that I'm guilty. I see that I have not achieved the standard set before me. I make mistakes and I'm selfish. I'm often greedy and self-centered, God, and I just need your grace to cover my sin. And so today I receive your grace. I receive your forgiveness. I walk in new life in Jesus, not because I'm good enough, but because Christ died for me. And today give me strength to walk from this church and to learn and to grow and to serve and to care for the needy and to care for the lost and to go and tell more people about what you've done for me. I prayed in Jesus' name. Amen.